it is 2022. They said it could never happen. But of course it did, and here is the film file, the first one of a brand new year. Hello and welcome to 2022 with The Film File, the film show for film geeks by film geeks and introducing your regular geeks. Hello, I'm Lee Ford. And I'm Andy Meakin. Happy New Year to Andy and Happy New Year to everyone else who's listening. Hi, hope it was a good one in the words of John Lennon without any fear. Uh, Was yours a good one, Andy? Uh, Well, this has been my first New Year's where I didn't drink alcohol. I stopped drinking last year. I stopped drinking after New Year's rolled over into 2021. And so this was the first time. And over the year, it's been quite easy to not drink alcohol because I've not been anywhere. Uh, but, you know, I've been to a gig and didn't drink. And that that felt great. I've met up with friends in the early evening. But it's only the early evening. You kind of don't get too drunk anyway at that point in time. Yeah. So it felt OK. This was the first time that I did a, an evening gathering with uh, friends and family round of the house where we're playing board games and quiz games and I'm not drinking. And I normally go through two, three bottles of wine um, oh, wow. or gin or lo- like loads of stout. And whilst even though others were drinking around me, I didn't feel like I was I was out of it. I didn't feel that uh, like I wasn't in on the jokes. I felt like I felt just I was having as much fun as I used to have. The oh, only difference good. being is that I didn't wake up the next day thinking, oh my God, what happened last night and losing blocks of memory. And it's it's what I've needed. I've needed something like that to make me go, you know what? I'm fine with not drinking now. I'm absolutely fine with it. I'm not a big drinker. Uh, I I was driving. We went to friends, played board games, played a game that you recommended, which was Blockbuster. And I've been gagging (laughs) to play that since I've got it because, hey, COVID. (laughs) Uh, I couldn't. We couldn't play it with anybody, so it's the first time that I actually played it and loved it. Uh, it went down really well, and you know what? I did terribly. And all those people who think, "Oh, just because yeah. you present a, a, a film show or you talk about film on the radio, you should know an awful lot about it," I, I did really poorly. This is what me and my brother-in-law, who's he's a big film nerd uh, like me, and watches pretty much anything that he can watch and knows all the details of who was in what, who does this. But the way that the blockbuster game works is that you could be an expert on something, but the clues that you're trying to give to your team are over their heads. Yes, the things that you think you think. Oh well, everyone knows movie quotes. No, they don't. No one knows movie quotes. <laughs> Only us geeks. film nerds yeah. know the movie quotes. And um, yeah, when you're trying to mime, like the miming a film is hilarious because you're trying to pick like a scene that you think is prominent, but everyone's just looking at you like blank faced. And it, it's such a great game because you can be in a room with a load of people who know nothing about film and they slaughter you because they're all on the same wavelength and you're not. Yeah. So it was a good evening, good evening spent. And, and I, hardly drink now funny enough since uh, since i had covid way back in march of last year i, I lost my taste for alcohol I mean, i'm not a big drinker anyway but i just i just don't like the taste it's really changed how uh, it really changed how, how I, I respond to alcohol and uh, I, I hardly drink at all i think i had half a glass of champagne and that was it and that was enough i, I don't miss it at all anymore really yeah. don't but i was never a big drinker anyway i'm not uh I'm I'm one of those I I don't have vices. My my body mm. is my body just doesn't have vices. It's it's really weird. Other than movies and collecting comics, <laughs> which is a big enough vice. Oh, and I like cooking. I like eating out, but that's about oh, it. Yeah, 
So yeah, it was a nice new year. Uh, gentle, done very little since, hardly left the house. Just yep. going through that, taking Christmas decorations down, and then it's the 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 old line. Oh, doesn't the room look big now? The tree's gone. That kind of thing. <laughs> Say it every year, but it yep. is twenty twenty two, and we are back with a new film file for the new Episode year. Episode one hundred and one. One hundred and one. Yeah, of course, our hundredth landed. If you remember, good old listeners, uh, we got to episode one hundred and then took a two week break which was going to be a three-week break, but we realised two weeks into the two-week break that we'd recorded two full shows during that two weeks. Yes. <laughs> so what was supposed to just be downtime for us with like five minutes of new content and some old material turned into just more episodes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we decided to cut the break short. We love doing this so much that we just thought, you know what, let's just jump straight into it in the new year. And uh, as I said to you before, Andy, I've been, I've been listening to the shows in full. Uh, and I can sit back and, and, and listen to them now without going, oh, did I say that? Or, oh, should we have said that? Uh, and enjoy them in, in their own right. It was it was good fun. Thankfully for a lot of that, oh, should have said that. I've already edited those bits out. <laughs> <laughs> I know. they. Yeah. Yeah. Moving There's on. Quite, I mean, the people who watch the videos will see some of the cutting room floor elements that I put back in in there. But there's significantly more that is left out that I could never release to the general public. <laughs> which is which is for the best, really. The bit more swearier <laughs> version of the film file that I, I know you're shocked by. So what have we got in this show? Well, for 2022, we have got the news even though there's not much of it. There's not much. <laughs> we are going to be doing a deep dive into The Goonies. We'll be taking a look at the book of Boba Fett. Andy will be reviewing this week... Protégé and Don't Look Up. And Andy, of course, you'll be giving us what's coming out and what to look forward to across all the spectrum of entertainment for 2022. But first, here's the news. <laughs> So not much in the way of news then, Andy? No, I mean, we weren't expecting much news. This is why we initially suggested we were going to be taking a break over the Christmas period, because everything shuts down over Christmas, and so there wasn't much to report on. Yes, there's big films that came out, but there's not much going forward. But there's a small scattering. But let's should we start with our usual look at the box office? Yes, I mean, there's only really one big box office story, isn't there, <laughs> um, after all? and and um, a slight continuation of the demise of uh, another franchise. Yes. Well, in, in the complete no-shit Sherlock news, 2021's box office was way up on 2020. It was double 2020s. It's almost like cinemas were closed for, for 2020. But it was much less than 2019. It was down 61% overall on 2019's figures. So it's still a long way to go before box office gets back. But this last month of the year has been hugely significant. And in particular... The performance of Spider-Man, which after the past weekend has now passed $600 million in the US box office, which kept it at the top spot over there. And it's $1.38 billion worldwide so far. Wow. That's the kind of numbers that we used to see in 2019. That's what we're hoping we're going to see in more films coming out later this year. Spidey's box office has been phenomenal. It's broken records worldwide, and it's shown that there's still that attention from cinema goers, from general audiences, not people like you and me, the film geeks who will clamour to these films anyway, but your general audience for the right film. Now, it does open up the whole bed of worms. It's like, you know, films like Last Jewel, which were really good, didn't perform. There's loads of other films that don't perform, and they're the more serious films. The Martin Scorsese cinema films aren't yeah. performing. 
And we've spoken about this before, how it's changing attitudes. And I think in this post-COVID world, people just want escapism. I think so. And it makes perfect sense, doesn't it, really? You don't want something serious. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you've got, uh, well, it makes Spidey the 12th biggest film ever globally. And, and as you yeah. said, we're at 1.37 billion haul. That says something, not just about the success of the movie, about what audiences are looking for right now. You know, it's been yeah. a, a gloomy year and I, I just a bit of escapism. Uh, and, yeah. and unfortunately, other films have suffered because of that. They've not found the audience, not because they're bad movies, but because I think it's what audiences need is is something with a little bit of hope and a little bit of a little bit of escapism to it. Yeah. Sing 2 in the US stays strong in second place. It comes out later this month in the UK. I, I quite like the first Sing film. I yeah, didn't it was think okay. I would. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would, to be honest. I thought it'd be like, oh no, this looks like a, t- a terrible talent show animation movie. I've not bothered with that. Watch it. It was like, oh, you know what? Quite quite sharp in the wit. Quite like that. So I'm quite looking forward to seeing what they do with Sing 2. Um, but it's already proven a hit in the, sm- in the territories it has released in. It's taken 144 million worldwide so far. Uh, King's Man took third place in the US with a paltry 19 million. It's only taken 47 million worldwide so far in its first week and a half. It's very likely we are not going to see a return to this franchise after this one, regardless of what Matthew Barnes saying. To be honest, they're not very big budget movies. They're not huge, but it still needs more than 47 million yeah. in its first week to um, be considered a success. You see, that's the kind of film which will do well on streaming. Yeah. So it wouldn't, I mean, I know that Matthew Vaughan's been speaking up recently about like his plans for the franchise going forwards, etc. Let Netflix pick it up for a limited series. Let them do a seven or eight episode series to play it out because they're not hitting at the box office. The first one did because I think people didn't know what to expect with the first one. And it, it kind of caught people off guard. But the second one really played into the more extreme nature of the franchise. And this one, it spent too long before it came out. And also there's not a returning cast from, from the previous movies. Yeah. I think that confused people. You're trying to do a prequel to a franchise that has only got two films to it. Yeah. It's it's a bit too early to be fran- like digging back into the franchise like that. American Underdog, which is a biopic of the NFL quarterback Kurt Warner, is in fourth place in the US. And Matrix Resurrections is struggling in fifth place. 106 million it's taken worldwide on a 190 million budget. Well, we won't be seeing a return to the Matrix, I think. I think that's done and dusted until there is probably in 10 years a reboot. Like I've suggested, I do think that Lana Wachowski only made this in order to get a deal to make another film. Yeah. And it it was simply because Warners were going to make it with or without the Wachowskis. And so it was a way of jumping on board and kind of having a stab at Warners at the same time by making part of the film all about when you regurgitate sequels to old franchises that have long died. It's a very cynical film. It is. I I saw it after you reviewed it. I I thought it was a film of two halves. I thought it had a very, very clever first half. And then it became a substandard Matrix movie. Not even a good Matrix movie, but a substandard one. But the first half was very clever, very smart. And I thought it was going to go places, but it, it just didn't. It didn't land. And despite Keanu wanting to do another one, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, stick to John Wick, mate. That's what we want you for. We want more John Wick. We'll be happy with every John Wick in the planet. Talking of which, I watched all the John Wick films after seeing The Matrix and uh, and thoroughly had a good time with them. Oh, they're so much fun. I've revisited each of them already at least once or twice. 
and I will be watching all three of them back to back just before the fourth one comes out in 2023. I, I just love it. It's just so snappy. It's yes. so well shot. There's so much fun to watch. Now, relating to cinemas, over in France, have you heard that food and drink has now been banned from cinemas? I hadn't heard that. It's one of the latest measures to combat the spread of COVID that's been introduced in France. Uh, Denmark and the Netherlands have closed all cinemas until mid-January. Ouch. And there's various other countries across Europe are seeking measures to restrict social engagements. So we're at that time again. And we know, looking at the rising cases in the UK, I mean, we are three times the biggest peak at the moment yeah. of the new cases. Something's got to happen and something's going to happen. Whether it's going to be a lockdown, we don't know. But something's going to impact on the cinema industry in the UK. But in France, in order to keep cinemas open, they've agreed to not sell food and drink and ban it completely. People have to wear masks going in, sitting down, all the way through. Cinemas, as anyone who works within the cinema industry and anyone who knows aspects of it, make a huge markup, put a huge markup on the prices of food and drink because that's where cinemas make their money. So I'm... I'm baffled as to how this is going to help the cinema industry well i guess if it's the lesser of the two evils and keeping cinemas open i I, it's not going to help ultimately but it it does keep them open it keeps people it keeps the habit of going to the cinema going i think for me that was the big change of people have, have habitually forgotten how to do things and feeling that cinemas are staying safe will once the 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 bands lifted that the audiences will just come back and just therefore relish being able to eat but i i think it's better to do that than 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 close and and cinemas have been very 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 safe Uh, there's been no concerns over release date shuffle starting up at this point in time i know we were concerned a couple of weeks ago because uh, we said that it's strange that there's not much happening with regards tickets going on sale for scream they went on sale this morning so that's stuck to its um, 14th of January commitment and we're not seeing any news on major shuffles as of yet but like I say we're we're early into this year various countries are adopting different policies at the moment which are affecting the cinema industry it's only a matter of time yeah we are we'll just make it up as we go along in this country and bumble our way through but hey we're not here to talk talk politics 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 let's move on to actual film development news. So Will Arnott is replacing Army Hammer for Taika Waititi's already shot sports comedy Next Goal Wins. Oh, that's going to be costly. The film focuses on Michael Fassbender's football coach Thomas Rogan, who's tasked with turning a weak team into an elite squad. And it has names like Elizabeth Moss, Frankie Adams, Billu Akoli, Reese Darby, who of course has got Reese Darby in there, Taika Waititi's made it, and yeah. Angus Sampson. Uh, it was shot in 2019. Now, Hammer only had a cameo role as oh, an okay. executive for the football football federation's American Samoa, and Arnott has replaced him for the reshoots. With reports that the role has now also been expanded a little at the same time. Right. This all comes in the wake of the accusations against Hammer for sexual assault claims, which the actor denies. Must make it clear that he's denied everything, and there's an ongoing investigation into the allegations. Um, Hammer exited several films in the wake of this, but will still be seen in Death on the Nile in the next month. Because that was already completed and his role is far too large and integral. I was going to mention that because that is a bit of a shadow that hangs over that film. Now, I think internationally his role hasn't made the kind of headlines that it has in the state. So we might, depending on who the audience is, which we would consider to be an older audience, might just go and not pay much attention to it. I mean, while the stories happened last year, people have got a very short memory 
for those kind of things unless yep. the news picks it up around that and uh, continues the, the debate into his whether or not he did what he's been alleged to do. I think it might ha- it might hit in the States, but I think in Europe where this film will be probably more popular, I don't know if it'll make that much of an impact. But I do think yeah. the shadow looms over it. It's also worth noting that whilst people like us and you listeners out there obsess about this kind of news, and we know the ins and outs, the general public out there don't. Yes. Yeah, the echo chamber that we speak to, obviously all understand all these reasons, but I work in the cinemas and see a load of people who know nothing about who's in what, what films that person's done and what they've done in their personal lives, unless it's Tom Holland and Zendaya, because everyone loves them at the moment and they're marvellous. Let's be honest, those two are marvellous. I've been watching <laughs> YouTube videos while I was waiting for you to come on today of them in interviews, and they are such a lovely couple, aren't they? <laughs> Sorry, I just I just went a bit... <laughs> right, you did, you got a bit, a bit fangirl. Oh. I just went, but I kept fangirl then. I just think that they're a great, I just think it's great watching them do anything together. <laughs> and I will remove those videos from their hotel rooms. <laughs> um, let's move on before yes, I get that, more please. <laughs> Can we just say something about Dwayne Johnson says there is no chance he will return to the Fast franchise? Yes. So it was back in November when Vin Diesel made that very public post on social media asking for Rock the Dwayne Johnson to come back to the family for the last Fast and Furious film. And remember how patronising we said it was at the time because he was calling him Rock, calling the Rock little brother. Well, yeah. Johnson has given his very well considered response to it, and, and it is up until now his response has been very like flippant, like no chance, hey. But this time it's like this is a well structured one. I was very surprised by Vin's recent post this past June when Vin and I actually connected not over social media. I told him directly and privately that I would not be returning to the franchise. I was firm yet cordial with my words and said that I would always be supportive of the cast and always root for the franchise to be successful, but that there was no chance I would return. I privately spoke with my partners at Universal as well, all of whom were very supportive as they understand the problem. Vin's recent public post was an example of his manipulation. I didn't like that he brought up his children in the post, as well as Paul Walker's death. Leave them out of it. We'd spoken months ago about this and came to a clear understanding. My goal all along was to end my amazing journey with this incredible Fast and Furious franchise with gratitude and grace. It's unfortunate that this public dialogue has muddied the waters. Regardless, I'm confident in the Fast universe and its ability to consistently deliver for the audience. And I truly wish my former co-stars and crew members the best of luck and success in the next chapter. Very well considered. Yeah, yeah. You can almost hear like a, like a distant bell, the subtext. <laughs> yeah. In that response. Uh, I mean... And it completely makes sense because like we said when Vin Diesel did his post, it's like, what, what is he trying to do? Why is he being patronising? Why is he drawing on like, you know, oh, you're let, making it out as though The Rock was letting everyone else down and he was betraying the legacy of the franchise. It was, it's pathetic. It's childish bickering. And it all comes from manipulation that Vin Diesel does. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's be honest, neither of us are that interested in the last couple of Fast and Furious films. I was interested up until I watched the most recent one. I went, nope, that's it. It's done now. You're out. I'll, I'll be interested if a Hobbs and Shaw movie gets made because The Rock is still interested in doing that. But aside from that, I've got no interest in this franchise. So there's been a rumour that Gal Gadot is returning as Wonder Woman in The Flash. Have you heard that? I, I, there's loads of rumours on The Flash at the moment. And what whether the right or wrong at the moment, I don't know. I'm waiting for anything official to come out on this because it's getting crazy. This past 48 hours 
have seen rumors that after the flash there'll be no batman and superman within the dc universe because it'll be batgirl and supergirl will be taking their places Mm, i'm not convinced that it's going to erase all the history of Zack snyder's films i'm not convinced it's there's loads getting thrown out and we're expecting cameos anyway from as many of the characters linked into the dc universe because it's it's basically flashpoint it's an excuse for them to reboot and reset things i don't think it's going to wipe things out i don't think it's going to have huge impact and we know gal gado still wants to be wonder woman which she's intending to be wonder woman going forwards anyway so why not have a cameo? But let's wait until there's official announcements because at the moment out there on Twitter, it's ridiculous. And the hashtag brigade are obviously latching into it and falling for every little trap of clickbait material out there. And it, it's becoming horrible on Twitter again. So let's move on from that. <laughs> well, speaking about the hashtag brigade, let's move on to Zack Snyder's Star Wars. I mean, um, Rebel Moon, which is expected to go into principal photography in a couple of months. It's currently in pre-production. And he released some artwork, didn't he? He did, yes. Uh, In the way that he he tends to do around all his projects, he's always got loads of concept art and like all his like storyboarding and etc. So he started to release some visual ideas of what to expect, and it's it's Star Wars. (laughs) Let's be honest, it's Star Wars. Well, yeah, I mean, it's inspired by Star Wars. He, He at least he's got a. He's got a blank slate to be able to introduce characters and, yeah. and a look to the film, which is his own, without having to to rely on on the history or the tradition that's gone before or the design work, for that matter. He can go anywhere he wants with it. But, you know, if he's got a good idea and you don't want to see yeah. that go, it was only a pitch. There was never, never a script. It was only a concept for a new, darker take on Star Wars, which... Um, you know, he's, he's, he's got a chance to explore. I'm, I'm going to be more interested in seeing this than I would be in yeah. another Army of the Dead movie, because you know my thoughts on Army of the Dead. Uh, the, the story on um, Rebel Moon is that it follows a peaceful colony on the edge of the galaxy, which is threatened by the armies of the tyrant Belisarius. A young woman is sent to seek warriors from neighbouring planets to make a stand. And the, as you've suggested, the plans are that if it's successful... This will be an IP that Zack Snyder owns that he can expand out to create a whole franchise universe to build in. In the same way that he's doing with his Army of the Dead universe, he's allowing other creators to tell stories within that universe while making his own ones. He wants this to be his Star Wars. It started off as a pitch for Star Wars. The concept art looks very much similar to the style of concept art that the original Star Wars films had. Yes, it did look a bit Ralph McQuarrie, didn't it? They were drawing from that classic sci-fi, pulp sci-fi kind of concept, which is what Zach's going for as well. I'm, I'm intrigued. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big geek anyway. Of course, I'm intrigued with anything sci-fi, and I, I'm liking. I mean, I've only seen Army of the Dead once. I enjoyed it. I refused to watch it a second time because you told me that the second time that you watch it was when you noticed the holes. Yeah. But so I'm still excited with what he's doing with there. But I'm more, well, maybe not excited, but I'm more happy for Zack Snyder that he's getting a chance to play with his own toys. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. He's I, not getting reined in. I've just got four words for you based on uh, what you've told me about Rebel Moon. Battle Beyond the Stars. Yep. Okay, so we've had a couple of um, trailer drops over the last week. The Peacemaker saw the R-rated new trailer land for that one. Don't know when it lands. I am imagining it will go to Sky Atlantic in the UK. There's a trailer drop on Mobius. And apparently the running time is really, really short. In fact, shorter than uh, Venom, from what I've heard. 
not all films need to be long, but it does feel like one of those stories that maybe needs to be given time to grow. But I think it might be a trim it down. We can get like five shows a day in a screen rather than four shows a day and trying to maximise it. We'll see when it comes out. There was a teaser drop for Witcher Blood Origins, which stars uh, Michelle Yeoh, and that would be my only interest in watching it. Can't get into the into the Witcher. Really tried. Yeah. Something for TV that I thought looked quite interesting, which the uh, trailer drop for Jack Reacher, starring Alan Richardson from Titans. And no, I've not seen that. I've been interested in that. It comes across as a more book-accurate take on, on Jack Reacher than, say, Tom Cruise, even though... I've got to be honest, the first Jack Reacher movie, because I don't know much about the character, I thought was phenomenal. It had a real 70s mm. vibe to it. Yeah, I don't know much about the books, but I know all the controversy over the casting for the film in that Tom Cruise is uh, about one and a half feet shorter than what Jack Reacher should be. And his character was was too nice compared to the character in the books who's supposed to be quite a bit of an evil bastard. Yeah, yeah, I don't <laughs> think he's a pleasant a guy. Word. Yeah. Kids, if you're listening, and uh, you used it in a sentence. I did. I used it in a sentence. <laughs> Demonstrate that to your teacher. <laughs> yeah. Is that it for the news? That's that's it. I mean, it's literally, like I say, everything's shut down for the few weeks. We're only starting to get trickles of news coming out now. And that's it for the news, apart from, and if you've been on social media or been anywhere, because she wasn't just an actress or a comedian. She was, in fact, an icon. And that was the sad news, even though she passed away at the age of 99, that uh, Betty White has, has uh, left this mortal coil. Now, yeah. it seems as though Betty White would be with us forever because she has touched the entertainment world in so many different ways. It's, in, it's incredible mm. for, for someone to be so beloved by so many, many people. Yeah, I mean, only a couple of weeks before she would, would have been celebrating her 100th birthday, the much-beloved Golden Girl who's been a mainstay of entertainment throughout the decades. Regular TV appearances on a variety of shows, most notably her self-titled shows and the Mary Tyler Moore show, Golden Girls, but also small roles through the decades in things like Love Boat, Odd Couple, St. Elsewhere, Diagnosis Murder, Ali McBeal, Hercules, Malcolm in the Middle, 30 Rock, where she played herself beautifully. Yes. Uh, Community and much, much more. Her prominence in the hearts of multiple generations can be seen by... Actors such as Ryan Reynolds with his obsession over her and managing to reference her in as many of his films that he can do, which spe- which spanned over into the comic books for Deadpool, where Deadpool has a huge crush on Betty White. Hey, she, she was a pop culture icon. Yeah, and so nice because it wasn't forced. It was one of those yeah. that just happened out of love and organically because of that. So, uh, yeah, sad news, but she had a, a great innings. I mean, I've got a track where she sings with Alice Cooper. That's how <laughs> much of an icon uh, Betty White was. So um, our condolences to Betty White's family and friends and, of course, to Ryan Reynolds. And that is the news. Still with us after 100 episodes, want to be with us for another 100 more. All we ask of you is to head over to your favourite podcast platform, hit the subscribe button and give us a great big sloppy like. And remember to tell your friends because... You know what? Spreading the word is going to become our rallying cry for 2022. If you want to know more about The Film File, you can do so by heading on over to Twitter, where you can follow us at Film File UK. Head over to Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, or pretty much every social media platform and look for Film File UK. You'll find us on there. You can get in touch with us directly by sending us an email to podcast at filmfile.uk. 
and we'll answer any questions. We'll take up any suggestions. We love hearing from you. We've heard from a few people in the past month when they were telling us about their top films of the year. It's lovely to hear from you, and we love to share what you love about films with all of the other listeners out there. So get in touch. I've just got to mention Andy's Sunday night Twitter extravaganza, uh, which uh, I read last night and was phenomenal. Yes, the movie talk on Sunday, or hashtag MTOS, runs every Sunday from 8 o'clock. There's a different topic each week, all film-related. could be an actor, could be a type of film, genre. It could just be cinema-going experiences. Ten questions, one going out every ten minutes. Everyone's invited to join in the responses. And last night we were talking about the films of 2021. And it was great to get that feeling of what films people picked up on, what went under the radar for so many people, and what were the true gems of the year. So get involved. Jump onto Twitter. Follow us at Filmfile UK. Search for hashtag MTOS. Have a look through some of the past answers. See what kind of things get discussed. It's all respectful. We all have different opinions. And when we have different opinions, we respectfully disagree. We don't start throwing mud at each other. Because we're a great big film community. A family, yeah. we might say. So tell your friends. So this week's deep dive is, uh, is going to be an interesting one. We're going to be talking about the 1985 American adventure comedy film, co-produced and directed by the late, great Richard Donner, from a screenplay by Home Alone's Chris Columbus based on a story by executive producer Steven Spielberg. That is, The Goonies. Hey, Mike found the map! One-Eyed Willie! My dad told me all about him! See, One-Eyed Willie stole treasure once, and then he got into this cave, and he's been there ever since. Trapped. You guys, just what if this map could lead to One-Eyed Willie's rich stuff? I'm setting booty traps. You mean booby traps? That's what I said, booby traps. I want to go home. Don't say that. Goonies never say die. Oh my God. From Steven Spielberg. The Goonies. Do the truffle shuffle. Come on! Do it! This is a story about kids who live in the Goon Docks neighborhood of Astoria, Oregon, attempting to save their home from foreclosure. And in doing so, they discover an old treasure map that takes them on an adventure to unearth the long-lost fortune of One-Eyed Willie, a legendary 17th-century pirate. During the adventure, they are chased by a family of criminals who want the treasure for themselves. The film stars very young Sean Astin, a very young Josh Brolin, Jeff Cohen, Corey Feldman, Carrie Green, Martha Plimpton, and Ki Hoon Kwan. And what's going to be interesting about our deep dive this week is I have never seen The Goonies. But Andy, sell it to me. Tell me why I should see The Goonies. Well, the, the main thing is that when you've got some a story idea by Spielberg, that gets fleshed out by Columbus and then Dick Donner making it. Why would you not see this film? Let's be honest, those three names alone, if you if you said a new film with all those names was going to be made, you'd go, yeah, I'm on, I'm in. You should see this film because it's more than just the child adventure film that it was when it first impacted on me at the age of 12. This came out when I was age 12 and I was perfectly the right age 
for going to see a film that was pitched on this whole idea of kids exploring pirate treasure. A sub-Indiana Jones kind of concept. The search for the treasure to save the community is an excuse for a variety of various set pieces to be linked together uh, with the usual traps and the like clues getting followed as they're trying to get through caves and like playing an organ to open doors and things like that. And they are great set pieces, especially the, the organ made out of bones that you have to play the notes right in order for the doors to open. Otherwise, the platform falls away. There's perils, there's thrills. Like you say in the, in the introduction, there's the escaped criminals who are chasing after the kids throughout because they get embroiled within their plot line. But the film itself is more than that. When I was a kid, I latched onto the action and the adventure and the comedy aspects of it. But on revisiting this as an adult, I've latched onto the depth of the story. As you'd expect from something that comes from Steven Spielberg, there's a lot of aspect of family and heart and community involved in it. Casting, Sean Astin holds this film together. Revisiting this film through adult eyes revealed to me exactly how solid a young actor he was. When it was released, I latched onto Corey Feldman's mouth character because he's very witty, he's very loud, he's very obnoxious, he's, he's funny in that way. But as I got older, I realised Sean Astin is absolutely a treasure in this film as playing Mikey. He's a kind of central figure of the Goonies who realises exactly what the redevelopment of their town means to them as a group and individuals. The search for treasure is not just a search for treasure, it's a search for hope to keep a community together, despite the encroachment of the wealthy who want to tear down the poor areas. Stolen riches from pirates' treasure is the only way to stop modern-day pirates stealing from the lives of the community. And there's a beautiful irony in that. And that's what I love about this film is that watching it as an adult, I get so much more from it. Yes, I still love the thrill of adventure. Yes, I still love the comedy antics as the subplot involving the crime family. Played brilliantly, Anne Ramsey as Mama Fratelli, a grotesquely obnoxious woman. Uh, Robert Davy as Jake and a very young Joe Pantaliano as Francis. They add so much comedy. And when they are interrogating the character of Chunk, who's the chubby kid who the others kind of mock but he's full of tall stories and when they say to him tell us everything and he starts telling his whole life story has me in stitches every time but the family also introduces another element of heart to the whole film their brother sloth he's a gro grotesque figure physically but he's a childlike nature and it conveys this kind of message that even as an early age I picked up on that the message with sloth being like presented initially from behind shadowy menacing and then you get to know who he is never judge a book by its cover and people can be good inside even if they're horrible on the outside and it's got so many things like that within this film that it just makes me every time I go back to it love it more and more I'm going to tell you why I never got to see it. And you're right with those credentials, Chris Columbus, Steven Spielberg, and you know what a big fan I am of the work of Richard Donner, especially Lethal Weapon and especially Superman. This hit at a time when I was, I was getting a bit cynical because mm. um, I'm a, a wee bit older than you. I think it landed when there was a, a, a lot of very, loud movies and especially with a, a teenage cast i don't love as as you do lost boys uh i i find it annoying even though i think the principal idea is fantastic i think the delivery is is uh is a music video and i think it's, it's those elements that always put me off goonies uh, and the clips that i saw uh, around the time of, it, of its release were loud kids making being very very loud and shouting at each other a lot 
and then some very over-the-top action. And you know what? At that point in my life, I was completely over that. If I'd yeah. been 10 years younger, I think I would have lapped it up with a spoon. But at that point, I just think I was. Uh, it, it wasn't the film for me. It wasn't talking to me in a way that uh, other much more grown-up films and I don't mean that with any disrespect. This would be the equivalent of what Edward Scissorhands was to me in the 1990. Yeah. That I was at that cynical age and I saw the marketing for it and thought, oh, that looks twee and didn't watch it for years. And it was only like about seven or eight years afterwards that I watched it like on VHS or something and suddenly went, wow, why did I not flock to this? You see, now if I watched it, I, I wouldn't be bringing that baggage with it. Uh, I wouldn't yeah. be in that mind space that I was back when it was released back in the 80s. It just didn't appeal. And there was a, a lot of Steven Spielberg produced movies that were, were very glossy, very sentimental, but just weren't saying anything. I'm looking at movies like Batteries Not Included uh, yeah. around the same point, which were okay, but they lacked heart. They had the sentimentality, they had the great effects. Uh, they were incredibly well made, but they, they were, there was something kind of, cookie cutter and it just wasn't where i was at that that particular point in the 80s yeah. give me a lethal weapon uh, give me a diehard in the 80s absolutely in something with a bit more cynicism to it but those films for me just just weren't landing i i just wasn't into a into a movie with a bunch of kids yelling and screaming their way through it and, and i mean the the actors not the audience so it, it passed me by and and more times than not i've been asked have i seen the goonies no being belittled for not seeing the Goonies. My other half absolutely <laughs> keeps saying we must see the Goonies. It's just landed on Netflix. So I, I will get around to it and I might see it with different eyes, watching it with uh, uh, with the child and, and seeing the child's uh, uh, enjoyment of it because I think it will be absolutely pitch perfect for him. Uh, but for yeah. me, that's not my reasons. Not to take anything away from the film. I, I won't criticise it as I've not seen it. It just was wasn't when it came out where I was and, and subsequently over the years I've just had had no interest in seeing it. I think this is the first deep dive we've done where I've I've not seen seen the film. Not seen it at all. It's worth noting with The Goonies that it's a prime example of a film that's aimed at kids but doesn't talk down to the kids. Like I've said, the storytelling has so much depth of character and love and heart in it that would go over the heads of a youngster so the adults can latch onto it. And I mentioned this quite frequently because I mentioned it when we, I did my review of Clifford, that that was a film that spoke down to the child audience. And so it suffered as a result. Things like The Goonies and a lot of films from the 80s did this. They never spoke down. They just presented a, a family film in such a great way. I was obsessed with this film when it came out. I was obsessed to the degree that I had the sticker album. I collected bubblegum cards and I also bought the novelization. And through doing so, I was aware at that early age of deleted scenes because the bubblegum cards and the novelization referenced one scene in particular, the rocking octopus scene that, yeah, I, I remember telling people at school, it's like, this should be an octopus in it. It should be an octopus. And the, everyone's saying, you're talking rubbish. There's no octopus in the Goonies. But I was right. It was taken out. It's as they find the galleon that one I really had in a cove. There was a, an octopus attacks them, but it was taken out at the last minute simply because it kind of slowed the pace down. It was a great action scene, but it was like, they've got to the treasure. Stop putting more things in their way now. And so it got excised for that. But I, I still, I've probably still got the bubblegum card somewhere of the rocking octopus. And it was just baffling to encounter for the first time 
something that was referenced on the marketing materials that never made it into the film. And it's referenced still in one line in the end of the film when one of the characters talks about, and then there was an octopus. And if you'd not known about the, the novelization or anything, you would not even know what they're talking about. This was another one of those examples of something that would intrigue me so much that it got me to research and look into aspects of filmmaking. And it's probably from a result of this that I started wanting to read magazines that covered films of the time. So I started getting into the reading of the behind the scenes, the discussions with actors, directors, etc. It was a pro- it was a it was a key film for me because it whilst it's not my favourite film of the 80s, because let's be honest, Back to the Future, it's always going to be my favourite film of the 80s. It's one of those that was a defining film of the 80s for me. And that's why I think it's important to me. You can't say fairer than that. I mean, it's it's like music. It's like any cultural event which touches in a way. We can't explain it. It just says something. It, it speaks to us. It says something in in a way that that is so yeah. personal. I mean, the film grossed $9 million in its opening weekend in the US, uh, second on the charts behind Rambo First Blood Part 2. It grossed $63.9 million in the US and Canada, placing it among the top 10 highest grossing films of 85 and $60.6 million overseas for a worldwide gross of $125 million. There was talk for years of a sequel. Apparently, after the death of Richard Donner, the chances of that happening are absolutely zero. Uh, it was all, always reliant on whether uh, Donna, Spielberg and the cast would do it. Uh, I think it's now to be laid to rest as one of those things that in an alternate universe, you did get a, a Goonies yeah. too. But it's still popular to this day. It's referenced in countless cartoons. It's beloved by True True fans. In fact, during lockdown, I don't know if you heard any of them, but Josh Gad did a, a table read. Uh, as part of his podcast in December 2020 uh, and had a basically part of his virtual reunions uh, with a full yeah. reading of the script with uh, Josh Gad as Sloth, Gene Smart, the great Gene Smart as Mama Fratelli, Kristen Bell as Irene, Carrie Elworth served as the narrator and the event earned over 130,000 in donations for the charity No Kid Hungry. So there's a real legacy to this film. Um, are you disappointed there was never a sequel, Andy? No, I don't feel that this is a film that needed or necessitated any kind of sequel. Yes, the characters were great. And yes, it would have been interesting to pick up at some point and find out what happened with their lives after. Did they all separate? Did they go their own ways? Did they keep in touch as friends later in life? But I don't think there's a story there. I I think it would, if we had have had a sequel, it would have just been an unnecessary forced out sequel because the story is so well so self-contained there's nothing really to pick up on so that's this week's deep dive a film that i've not seen but shall i watch it maybe you could let us know maybe drop us a line should i watch goonies we'll have another deep dive for you next week if you want to see the goonies it has landed on amazon prime and you can find it as a blu-ray in fact there's a 30th anniversary edition out there for true fans so that's the deep dive into the Goonies. What else have we got? Well, before we go, let's hit you with some reviews, one of which I've seen. Andy, what have you got for us? First review, let's look at The Protégé, which landed on at Amazon this week. And that's one that I've not seen. I sent away so many prematurely, either by my hand or through you. We never sent anyone away who didn't have it coming. Get in, get out. We all have to pay for our sins eventually. 
I'm going to find out who killed my friend. That would be unwise. Unwise is killing a second father to me. We are way past unwise. The protege. So, The Protégé comes from Martin Campbell, who gave us a couple of belters of Bond films, some smashing Zorro films, and so I had high hopes for this tale of an orphan who's raised to be a top assassin, but then finds herself hunted when she gets too close to a guarded secret. However, apparently this is also the Martin Campbell who gave us Green Lantern, so there's that. It's funny, because we were talking about Martin Campbell quite recently as, as to what had happened to him after, yeah. after Green Lantern, because he, uh, as we know, he wasn't happy with the film uh, we talked about, but his career sort of drifted. Yeah. I mean, with this film, he's he's clearly trying to get back to that action-adventure kind of approach that he brought to the Bond franchise and Zorro films. But it doesn't quite work. The film stars Maggie Q, Sam Jackson, Robert Patrick, and Michael Keaton. And the cast are all on great form. And there's some really great moments of action and thrill, as you'd expect, with Campbell behind the lens. But the runtime feels a tad bloated. And every time it looks like it's going to break conventions of the genre that it's drawn upon, it then falls rapidly back into the formula. And indeed, I took out my movie cliche action deck, uh, which I occasionally take out and took 10 random cards to match up to see if they match up. And I got a perfect 10 out of 10 because every movie cliche of the genre is covered in this film. It's a shame, really, as the end result is a very average film with one or two great moments. Keaton, in particular, is severely shortchanged. His character, uh, you know, he's, he's got a cool as a cucumber, maybe possibly villainous role. I mean, everyone in this film is a villain. Everyone is nasty. We just need to root for some of them. But the film doesn't give him enough to break free of the stereotype archetype that he's been presented with. Sam Jackson plays pretty much the same character he plays in every other action film these days. Maggie Q really stands out and certainly makes the lead role something interesting but it feels like an attempted franchise starter at various points and plays just that little bit too safe. It's worth seeing, but will be easily forgotten straight afterwards. Where can we find it, Andy? Amazon Prime. Uh, talking of originals, let's go to Netflix, shall we? Is this where we're not going to look, we're not going to look up? We l- Don't, <laughs> just don't look up. This is not real. This is not real, this is not real. This isn't happening. Uh, tell me this isn't really happening. I hear there's uh, something you don't like the looks of. We discovered a very large comet. Oh, good for you. It's headed directly towards Earth. This comet is what we call a planet killer. At this exact moment, I say we sit tight and assess. Sit tight and assess? Sit tight. And then assess. The sit tight part comes first, then you got to digest it. That's the assessment period. So Adam McKay's Don't Look Up delivers a not-too-disguised political satire about global warming by making the presence of an asteroid hurtling towards Earth the symbol of how we're ignoring the onset of our own destruction through political wranglings, media manipulation, social media memes. Packing his film with an all-star cast, the tale can also be used as a look to how the world responds to any world threat, and indeed, it isn't hard to believe the more ludicrous aspects of the film given that we are pretty much witnessing it play out in real life around us in reaction to the certain pandemic that's going on. An all-star cast. Let's talk about the cast for this film. Well, when it comes to a to a cast, I mean, he, he literally, he must have got everybody he wanted because you've got <laughs> such big names. This is the third outing this year for Timothy Chalmay and me, having seen him in June and having seen him in French Dispatch. Uh, what a cast. Jonah Hill, Jennifer Lawrence. Leonardo DiCaprio. Meryl Streep. 
Kate Blanchett, Rob Morgan, Tyler Perry, Ron Perlman, Ariana Grande, who delivers a fantastic musical number towards the latter end of the film. Let's not forget Mark Rylance with just the oh, most well. incredibly acted teeth I've seen in a, <laughs> I've not seen in a movie for an awful long time. The teeth alone, I think, should get a, get a billing. Yeah, the tech billionaire played by Mark Rylance is, it's an amalgamation of your Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos kind of personalities, but taken to the extreme. And I mean, it's Mark Rylance. Of course, he's marvellous. And of course, he steals every scene that he's in. He's absolutely fantastic in it. But he also not only steals the screens with his creepy, bizarre, flippant manner, but he delivers one of the harshest put downs late on in the film with complete and utter malice. Yes. His, his whole, like, I know how you're going to die speech absolutely chilled me to the bone. And that's the great thing about Mark Rylance is that most of the time through the film, you see this character as a joke. He's he, he's hilariously, ridiculously self-absorbed. But then when he strikes with that malice, it's Rylance delivers it so perfectly. I, I could watch Mark Rylance just talk. He's got such a calm voice, hasn't he? And everything he does. I he's a marvellous guy. His voice. Um... I watched over Christmas uh, Bridge of Spies again, which is my, my first outing with Mark Rylance. And, and boy, he's so good. There are not many actors who can dominate the screen against someone like Tom Hanks, but he's just, in everything, he's, he's absolutely pitch perfect. And and, and this, again, uh, as you say, it's a, it's a chilling performance. And, and don't be put off by the idea that you think it, he's there for the comedy. He's, he's, his role in it is much, much darker. I enjoyed this. I thought it was. I thought it was a little overlong. There were some interesting choices, which I've started to see in uh, Adam McKay's film of uh, of the film cutting to sort of montage sequences. But you can't get away from what the um, what the message is. I mean, this is Armageddon, Deep Impact, taken to a whole new level and a much more personal level. I think it it shines a very damning torch on contemporary life. Uh, I think it's it's scary. I think it's it's uh, crazy. I think it is really funny. I think it's sharp. It doesn't always land, but I, I came away from this not depressed, but more concerned about the direction the world's going in. And and, and clearly, it's yeah. for for someone like Leonardo DiCaprio, whose, whose environmental views are uh, are well known. This is a take on on the idea that you know that the, while the world's falling to pieces. Sometimes it's not even the last story on a, on a news item. And, and, and that was the worrying part of the premise. I've, I've watched this through twice now. And I find myself laughing a lot both times. I found myself picking up on various elements more the second time. But I found myself getting drawn more into the character, the character stories the second time. And it, it, I, I agree that the first time that I watched it, it felt like it could have been trimmed. But the second time around, I didn't feel that it's outstayed its welcome at all because I completely fell into the characters. It's a very, like you say, damning indictment on the world around us today. And it's, I've seen people online try to say it, it's too heavy handed and it's not subtle at all. And, you know, normally Adam McKay is quite subtle with his um, satire, but here he's hammering it home. But maybe that's the point. Because you look around yourself today with the way that the pandemic's been responded to. And you let's be honest, some people need a huge hammer home wake up call totally to be agree. able to make sense of it. That's what he's going for here. It's like we're not learning. We're not paying attention to the warnings that we've been having for decades about environmental like changes uh, that we're bringing on. 
if you're not going to listen to it being subtly approached or scientifically approached, maybe if we show you how stupid you are in the way that you're not paying attention, that might get through. And with regards to stupidity, I mean, Meryl Streep playing what is basically a female Donald Trump, right down to the, while the world's about to get destroyed, I'm going to have a rally to boost my own ego. Having her (laughs) son as chief of staff, played brilliantly by Jonah Hill, is a perfect mocking of the Trump establishment. Then DiCaprio as Dr. Mindy, you get to see his life getting disrupted by the fame and fortunes that being in the public eye can bring. And he gets distracted from his actual message that he's trying to sell. By becoming a media darling. Social media and becoming a media darling. And it's a damning, it's a damning attack on how the media and how social media in particular manipulates things and spreads misinformation. If you are the kind of person who watches this film and goes, this is rubbish, this is ridiculous, this has never happened, then you are exactly the type of person that is responsible for things like this happening because you are blind and you are naive to it. I loved it. I mean, this was a this was not just a liked film for me. This was one of my rare five out of five films for last year because I thought it was exactly what we needed. The only flaws that it's got is that the world around us is that satire at the moment, but you can't damn the film for actually highlighting what, the garbage that we're living in is actually like at this point in time. I loved it. I think the cast were all marvellous. Everyone was played beautifully. Even Ron Perlman, he only gets a few minutes on screen. But man, what a few minutes does he steal. But like I say, the majesty of Mark Rylance is what absolutely took the film for me. Absolutely brilliant. And for me, it was that Adam McKay sticks the ending perfectly. Mm. And he adds a last line that Leonardo DiCaprio says which is is really touching and and makes the whole thing absolutely worthwhile it was that one line which which gave the film the film about our own responsibilities to to the world that we live in that um he he hit it hit it perfectly and of course stick around because the uh two end credit sequences that you that you (laughs) need to see one that is set up as a as a gag very early on in the film (laughs) and and lands beautifully uh, so is that it, Andy? Yep, that's it for the films this week. I've not had chance to see The King's Man because work commitments. I will probably get a chance to see that before next week. In the meantime, that's all that we've got. So we're now in the new year, and I know you and I are seriously looking forward to getting back into the cinema and, and streaming as well. Let's not ignore streaming. Uh, let's go through the list of what's worth seeing in 2022. So uh, January... We spoke about it briefly earlier on the show because the tickets have gone on sale, but Scream lands. Now, for those who get confused, it's doing what Halloween did and it's Scream 5, but is there only calling it Scream? Because I don't know. Is it is it so that new audiences might accidentally trip into it, not thinking it's part of a franchise? Well, they did the same with Candyman, didn't they? Yeah. And it works. It pays off. People have been saying, like, why is a horror film coming out in January? Does, do they expect it to die? They clearly miss the fact that horror films have been coming out in January for the past 15 years and doing quite well because there's no other horror films at this time of year. So they've got a bought-in audience. Uh, also in January, we've got Belfast. Which I'm really looking forward to. We've got Sing 2, which I'm looking forward to. We've got Morbius, which uh, I'm not convinced on. And then we've got, the, at the end of the month, Nightmare Alley, which is um, Del Toro's latest one which is getting good word of mouth in the u.s right now which will take us into february when let's be honest film of the year is going to arrive moonfall <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know it's going to be the the perfect 
antidote to don't look up in some ways, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it looks like it's just going to be exactly the kind of dumb entertainments that we expect um, from the guy who gave us 2012 and Independence Day and other such end-of-the-world disaster movies. Uh, Jackass Forever, I, it, it doesn't hold any interest to you. It's got moderate interest to me because I kind of enjoyed Jackass. Will I rush out and see it? I'm not sure, but I do think there will be an audience for it. Uncharted comes out in February. Um, yeah, could this be the film that changes the um, changes the fortunes of a uh, video game adaptation? I yeah, think it's a, it's it, it it has that potential to do so. Yeah, and in addition, I mean, Tom Holland's not really had huge success outside of the Spider-Man franchise. This could be the one that shows that he's more than just Peter Parker. Although, who is Peter Parker? Because I'm, I'm not sure who Peter Parker is. <laughs> I remember watching this film, but <laughs> but I can't remember anything about this guy called Peter Parker, who isn't it? Oh, interesting. <laughs> you went very meta then. I was trying to work out what the heck you were talking about, but then I saw what you were doing. Uh, we've got uh, Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson in a romantic comedy, uh, Marry Me. Uh, we mentioned it earlier. Kenneth Branagh's much-delayed sequel to Murder on the Orient Express with Death on the Nile. I mean, it, it was, what, almost three, three and a half years, years yeah. ago? If so, yeah, uh, maybe, but... maybe longer. Uh, I guess taking us into March, there's only one massive film for March, isn't there? Downton Abbey 2, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it, there's three films that have intrigued me in March. I'm intrigued with Wolf. I'm more intrigued with Turning Red because I do love my animations and I love the concept on this one. Is that a Pixar but obviously, movie? it's a Pixar movie. But mostly, let's be honest, March is all about the Batman. Yeah. Even if you're a, a Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum fan, The Lost City is out. But I think. The Batman is what we're going to be talking about a lot in March. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it's it's separate from all the other DC films. It's got its own universe. It's established its own rules. It was filmed partly in Liverpool, which means that I'm going to be broken out of the illusion at multiple times during the film. But I won't let that get to me. Uh, we then move into April. And there's, there's two films in this month that really stand out to me. There's one that I've got no interest in, but I'm sure that it will have an audience, and that's the new Fantastic Beasts film. Yeah, I'm not interested at all. The big ones for me are The Northman, which I've been hyping up since it first got announced because I do like Robert Eggers' style and vision. And when the trailer landed last month, I watched it multiple times. I think it looks fantastic. It's a Viking tale. I had an argument with someone on Facebook because you, one of the characters... You just surprised me. <laughs> One of the characters in it has uh, metal braces, and someone was like, "Oh, oh, they, they clearly like did an editing issue there. They, like, no way did they have like orthodontry back then." So I was like, "Well, actually, they did. There's been Roman remains from 400 BC that have had like braces and various methods of orthodontry, and they they, they wouldn't believe me. They were saying saying they was talking rubbish. They've clearly made a mistake. They've not edited something out of the film. So I actually posted photos of." historical records and historical findings with like metal braces on ancient ruins they still didn't believe me they thought i doctored everything because that's what i do in my spare time i go to the natural history museum and i create fake skulls with dental equipment on them some people you just can't educate there's a point people anyone out there who ever gets into this kind of argument where someone's proving stuff there is a point where you're allowed to go Oh, you know what? I never knew that. I've learned something today. Thank you very much. We're not living it's in that generation. It's always fine to learn something. It's, uh, just, anyway, but yeah, The Northman. Moving on. Anyway, moving on. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is out <laughs> in April. Yes, that's my other big film that I'm looking forward to. The first one was such a joy. 
it was such a great way to do a video game character movie on the screen. And this looks like it's going to lean heavily into the video game because now we've got Tails, the two-tailed fox. Um, we've got Knuckles. They've got the red biplane from the games. And we've got Dr. Robotnik in his actual Eggmobile. I can't wait. Whether this is going to latch on with general audiences who don't know the games, I don't know. But at this point, I don't care. <laughs> I'm intrigued by the new Michael Bay film. I can't believe I'm saying that, which is The Ambulance. Yeah, that's a, that's a weird one, that. <laughs> uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, Yaha Abdul-Mateen II, who's had quite a run over the last year. Yeah. Uh, apparently, he's toning down his blockbuster tendencies for presumably a smaller scale thriller about a pair of thieves who unknowingly rob an ambulance carrying paramedic and a patient in a critical condition. It's a remake of a Danish film. I'm uh, looking forward to that one. I can't believe I'm saying Little that. warning there. Last time he said he was toning down his action style uh, for something lower key was pain and gain. So don't get your hopes up. Uh, they're not too high. May brings us Legally Blonde 3, <laughs> which we will quickly move on to talk about Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. It, obviously, this is on everyone's radar thanks to having the trailer dropped at the end of the um, th- that small film that came out last month with the guy... That we can't remember. I can't even remember the name. Of the, I can't even remember the name of the character. I know. I know. There's a Spider-Man oh, in there, but I'm sure so we. So meta today. Are they ever going to tell us his identity? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Doctor Strange. There's there's still news coming out of like they might be introducing some X-Men characters in in the multiverse in this. There's loads of rumors. Again, like with the Flash rumors, I'm not paying attention to them until something's official. We've also got long-delayed Top Gun Maverick comes out in May. It looks phenomenal. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of, um, of Top Gun, but I am looking forward to seeing this. Yeah, same here. And um, there's the animated DC League of Super Pets. Which looks a lot of fun. June brings yeah. us uh, Jurassic World Dominion, which we've seen the first uh, five minutes of. And you know, over the first five minutes, I'm kind of in. It's the other 120-odd that, uh, that might be of issue. <laughs> I, I will be referring to this film as Jurassic World Diminishes. We've also got Lightyear comes out in June. Now that's intrigued me, and that trailer was tasty. Yeah, Chris Evans lending his voice to the real Buzz Lightyear, the astronaut who became the inspiration for the action figure. And also in June, there's The Black Phone, which the trailer for that intrigued me. It looks like a supernatural kind of uh, captive situation film. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued, intrigued enough to look forward to it. So we move into July, and obviously the second film of the year is uh, Minions Two because we've always wanted another Minions film. This is a fil- this is another one of those films that's been delayed so much that I'm not sure that people still want it. Yeah, I, I think maybe the world's moved on a little bit. Of course, the big one is going to be Thor: uh, Love and Thunder. Uh, Taiki Waititi returning to the Thor verse along with Chris Hemsworth, Tessa Thompson, and bringing back. Natalie Portman and Christian Bale's in there just for the ride. And, he'll, and that will be battling for cinema space again alongside Black Adam. Yeah. Um, which comes out the same month. Intrigued by that one. September, if it actually does happen, not September, the film landing, uh, Mission Impossible 7, uh, yes. often delayed. Well, delayed um, now, is that nearly two years? Yeah, nearly two years. Various shutdowns of production. Then there was the idea that they were going to make seven and eight back to back anyway. So that was going to put further delays onto things. Uh, They didn't quite get on track for finishing principal shooting. So they had to come back a few months later to pick it all up. But they're still targeting that September release. So fingers crossed. We've also got the new Salem's Lot that we've spoken about a few times comes out in September. Looking forward to that one. Then as we get in towards the end of the year, October brings a Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse part one. We talked about that 
in depth when we saw the trailer uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Halloween ends. Let's hope it does this time, but I'm still not sure that it will. November, The Flash. We talked about this earlier. Yep. Uh, the Flash comes out in November, and because there's a DC film coming out, of course, there's a Marvel film as well, because Wakanda Forever is uh, dropping in November. So it's Battle of the Comic Books every couple of months this year. And we still know nothing about where the film is going. Uh, which is very interesting in this day and age that there's so much secrecy still around films. I'm, I'm impressed with how they're doing this, and when will we get a trailer? I don't think we'll get a trailer until like May. I think we'll get the first trailer tagged onto Doctor Strange. Yeah, could be. I think uh, I think they're going to try and hold back on what the twists and turns are as long as they possibly can. And they know that even though the rumour mongers are out there, that they're pretty yeah. good at holding back on, on casting, on, on the big revelations, you name it, Marvel. I think they're pretty good uh, at hiding things from the audience. Uh, as we get through, we've got Aquaman, uh, The Lost Kingdom. I never enjoyed Aquaman, so The Lost Kingdom, it can happen for me. Uh, I, I guess I'll be there if you go, and, and that will be about it. And then a film that, has it lost its way? Have we forgotten about it? Has it been so long since the original came out? And that's Avatar 2. Avatar 2. Yeah, I mean, what's going to be interesting is that Avatar 2 and Aquaman 2 are both going to be going head-to-head on the run-up to Christmas. One of them has got to fail. And sadly, I think it'll be Avatar. I think it I will don't... do the uh, Matrix route. I really do. Yeah. I, I think that A, it's kind of been left too long before things got going on it. And B, we've said it before that Avatar suffered from people then watching it at home release and forgetting the impact that it had at the cinema because they've now seen it on a small screen and could spot all the flaws. In the same way that you've seen uh, Army of the Dead twice and the second time around you've suddenly spotted all the mistakes and all the, all the problems with it. I think that Avatar suffers from people who have rewatched it and realise it's not that great a film. It was a great experience at the cinema, yeah. but it's not that great a film. And Avatar 2 has a very, very steep uphill struggle in order to sell itself to an audience we might be proven wrong i'd like it if we're proven wrong i don't want aquaman 2 to fail as a result i'd like them both to do really good business but both of them will no doubt do better business than one film that i'm not convinced on and that's the mario film yeah i think they will hit a lot of criticism for their casting choices in it i think that will that yes. will be the bigger story whether the film's any good or not and that also, we've got Hocus Pocus 2, which has not got a release date yet. Again, a film that I'm, I'm not sure uh, the world needs. Uh, a Cheaper by the Dozen remake uh, starring Gabrielle yeah. Union and Zach Braff. And Blonde, and I'm a big fan of Andrew Dominic. Um, huge fan of the assassination of Jesse James. So this offers a fictionalised look at the private life of Marilyn Monroe during the 50s and 60s with the great Anna D. Armas who you'll know from Bond and Blade Runner 2049 taking the lead role. And obviously on streaming, Netflix in particular will be releasing at least one new film per week, as is their standard. And other services will be working on their own unique content. And we can expect films such as Chicken Run 2, Beverly Hills Cop 4, Knives Out 2, Lady Chatterley's Lover, Del Toro's animated Pinocchio, which looks delicious, The Adam Project, The Division, The Grey Man, and many, many more. This is a great time to be a film geek. Because be it cinema or streaming, there's a wealth of films coming out this year. And we will try our best to watch and review as many of the important ones as we can. So before we go, a quick mention of Book of Boba Fett, which landed on Disney Plus last week. 
I am not a bounty hunter. I've heard otherwise. I know that you sit on the throne of your former employer. Jabba ruled with fear. I intend to rule with respect. You were all once captains under Jabba the Hutt. I'm here to make a proposal that's mutually beneficial. Why speak of conflict when cooperation can make us all rich? What prevents us all from killing you and taking what we want? If you had spoken such insolence to Jabba, he'd have fed you to his menagerie. Uh, directed by Robert Rodriguez, John Favreau wrote the script. I, I thought it was a um, an interesting place to start the story. It feels mm. a little bit Godfather Two <laughs> in some ways. Yeah. I it was just okay. It, it it won me over. I will stick around. There was nothing in it that was. Uh, um, that was kind of outstanding. It was just everything was was good. Yeah, I mean, I I, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I I've seen even Forbes. Forbes are supposed to be respectable professional journalists, and they've done an article worst reviews so far. It's on eighty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Since when did professional journalists like Forbes jump into the mocking clickbait bandwagon? Eighty three percent of criticals like praising equals dune yes <laughs> so when has 83 percent been bad other yes other shows from disney scored higher even just by three percent that doesn't make 83 percent a bad score this was fun this i enjoyed it i love the fact that it picks up from where the end of the mandalorian was where boba fett takes over the criminal empire which was previously run by jabba but then flashes back to the events immediately after return of the jedi so we get an insight into what drives this mysterious bounty hunter who, let's remember, from Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, we knew nothing about it except he couldn't hit a barn door at five paces. And um, he kept getting, like, ganked by everyone else. <laughs> I'll tell nice you what action. I have enjoyed about it is, is the fleshing out of what happens between Book of Boba Fett and uh, Return of the Jedi. Yeah, it, it, it's got a great little set. It, showing him escaping from the Sarlacc pit in all its gruesome glory, let's be honest. I mean, we got to see inside a Sarlacc. I didn't re I didn't realise I wanted to see inside a Sarlacc, and now <laughs> I know that I didn't want to see inside a Sarlacc. There's some great action. There's Underworld Menace, and when Disney took control of the Star Wars franchise, it was hinted that they were going to be doing like a look into the Underworld and the criminal organisations as one of the spin-offs. This is the perfect spin-off to do it. The only problem that I could find with it is that in those flashback moments to the end of The Return of the Jedi, let's be honest, Tamora Morrison isn't as svelte as Jeremy Bullock was in the role originally. Yeah, yeah, and so we can only that. assume that he escaped the Sarlacc by eating the bloody thing. <laughs> <laughs> Blubber Fett or um, Boba Fat. I'm not sure what I want to go with here. 
But that's a minor issue, and it's nitpicking brought up by picking up a tail 40 years later on. So I'll let it slide because I love the action. I thought the episodic nature works a treat. Some folk, again, online moaning that the episode was too short and they wanted more. Yeah, that's the whole point. That's why it's a series. Binge watching has really ruined the art of storytelling as far as I'm concerned because people don't appreciate that you're supposed to get to the end of an episode and go, oh my, I can't wait for next week. And also, any show that has Matt Berry voice a robot gets a thumbs up from me. So we will be revisiting Book of Boba Fett over the next couple of weeks. And that is it for this week, our first show of 2022. And as ever, we've got our neat things. Um, Andy, over the Christmas period, did you have a a neat thing? Well, I didn't over Christmas, but as soon as it got to the back end, and uh, a certain series returned for season four on Netflix. Yes, I got a neat thing. Cobra Kai came back and once again is an immediate joy. I knew you were going to say that. I just knew that was going to be your neat thing. <laughs> the ongoing tale of Daniel Russo and Johnny Lawrence now sees them teaming up their dojos to take on John Kreese's Cobra Kai Academy in the build up to a tournament to determine who can stay and who has to go. However, this season, Kreese has begun working on recruiting Terry Silver played by Thomas Ian Griffith from the third Karate Kid film. So we're leaning heavily into Karate Kid 3 on this season to team up with him to train his students. As before, this is a show that knows exactly what it is and it's having fun with it. And it never falls into parody, but it it mockingly self-references throughout. The cast are such a joy now. And now I'm not just excited whenever there's like action going on. I'm so embroiled in the the soap opera nature of the lead characters' lives, which is just as important to this series as the threat to the karate schools. It's nostalgia-based TV done well, and picking up an old franchise like this and simply bringing it back, but making you see different sides to it was such a gem. And it's going to be a while before any other show manages to tap into this kind of revisiting aspect. I'm taking time with the episodes. I'm only three episodes in because I don't dig on binge-watching. I don't. I think that you lose something in binge watching. I agree. You, you miss over things. You you zone out occasionally. You skip things. I'm watching it every couple of days. I'll put another episode on, and I'm appreciating each episode as they play out. It is this is great. Cobra Kai when it started off, and it was YouTube YouTube show, and it didn't it didn't find a full audience until Netflix have picked it up. But it was I was I've been with it since the beginning. And I've been championing this show and I'm loving the fact that everyone is loving it alongside me now because this is something that we can all embrace. It's fun, family entertainment, picking up on an old franchise, bringing it to a modern audience. Cobra Kai is such a neat thing. Well, I've got a a similar neat thing about bringing something to a modern audience uh, and it's been heavily played in my house and in the car over the last uh, last week or so. It's the soundtrack to Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, which will be in my top 10 of the films of the year. I absolutely adored the film. I saw it after Andy reviewed it, and I I, I thought it was great. I absolutely loved it. And the soundtrack is 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 brilliant. Um, there's just some beautiful songs on it, which are, are nostalgic, because it takes you back to the first time I heard West Side Story. It is my favourite musical of all time. And... Uh, and kudos to this particular cast. Even mm. even Ansel Elgort, who hasn't got the strongest of voices, brings brings character to it. I think it's a, a, an absolute, absolutely beautiful soundtrack. Uh, the credit goes to Ariana DeBose, who is just mm. every time she opens her mouth is 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 just 
beauty personified. It, it's, she's got a beautiful, beautiful singing voice. It's a great album. Uh, if you've enjoyed the film, it's just a great way of carrying it on. And that's my neat thing. The West Side Story soundtrack to the 2021 remake. And that's it for our first show of the year, folks. Uh, stick around. Tell your friends. Uh, we'll be back again next week. We're going to do it all over again. Yeah, I think I think we're going to dip into the, the Hitcher next week. Okay, love that film. I'll be able to talk about that one because I have seen that. So we'll see you next week. This is The Film File. And remember, the stupid guys tell me to use the stairs. The stairs.